Hi, I'm Brad Solomons, and this is my first draft. Is this... Are we recording? Okay. Hey, I'm gonna cut to the chase. I've just spent the last few months writing a novel, and my plan was to sit down and start editing it. I was gonna go through it, paragraph by paragraph. I was gonna crack open the story and... Oh, well, I don't know what I was gonna do from there. I've never been an editor. I've never even really been a writer. It's been a dream for most of my life, and I know I can put words onto paper and maybe even tell a story. But a novelist? What does that even mean these days? See, I started writing because, well, it seemed like the kind of thing that a novelist does. A novelist writes. And then after a lot of pages, what? I fish around with my story for an agent and hope someone thinks it's worth turning into a book. Maybe get it published. Maybe sell a few copies. And maybe it sits on a shelf in the library, hoping for a few people to read it. What a great plan. I mean, it would have been a great plan back in the mid-90s when I had just finished high school and I had years to work at it. And, well, okay, maybe it still works that way for some people, but you're here listening to this show, so you already know that I have a different idea. What if instead of keeping my manuscript all to myself, editing it in private, hoping for some long-shot chance at a traditional publication, I just read you my story? It's a first draft, you understand. My first draft. It's the name of this podcast, after all, right? It's all still a little rough around the edges, and I'm hoping you'll listen with that in mind. But I'll take you through it, scene by scene, and, well... It'll all make sense if I just get to it. So, let's see. Right. Um, picture it. I open the story on a mountain. My prologue takes place in the forest, on some remote trail on that same mountain. And just as the sun is coming up, peeking over the crest, one of my characters is in the middle of it all, sprawled on the trail in the dirt. He's a guy named Ian. How did he get there? What's going to happen to him? Okay. How would I just start reading? He tastes wet dirt on his lips. Wads of decaying leafy mulch urge their cold textures onto Ian's cheek. The forest floor is mashed up into the side of his face, into his pores, jamming up his nostril in a pulverized mess of snot and earth and sweat and rain. The trail itself wedges into the corner of his mouth, grits against his teeth and tongue. The fragrant umami of the moist, rotting duff is almost comforting, he thinks, but then, no, hell no. Ian realizes that the acidic, rotting sweetness It is mingled and brewed together inside his mouth, and it is edged with a sharp, metallic snap of blood. Ian's eyes flutter open, a quiver, a twitch, open, and the soft streaks of light pierce, glint, 
dance between the trees as rays of soft pink and orange glow squint between the lattice of bare trunks and cast eerie shadows through the wood. A sliver of sunlight cracks over the horizon, there beyond the rolling hills east of the mountain. The shimmering morning dewdrops yet cling to the yellowing autumn foliage. The forest? The forest is as still as a photograph. Ian wants to sit up. He wants to assess. He wants to resolve this logical disconnect in his brain. He cannot do any of that. The ground is holding him in place. He is somehow unable to heft his own weight. The signal of burning electric pain finally reaches his neurons. It slams through his brain in the same second as he sees the rusty wet blotch on his arm. A dark red color saturates, soaks across the sleeve of his signature bumblebee yellow jacket. The bloodstain seeps towards the pull of gravity, oozing from a pencil-sized spike of shattered tree root hanked with a tuft of tangled threads snagged in the spike end. It pokes from the yellow fabric, skewering him between his shoulder and his elbow. A jagged woody end, the exposed root of some nearby tree is piercing up from the ground and then clear through the layers of Ian's muscle and flesh. It is stabbing him, and it is cold, ice cold, cold and wet as the packed earth trail upon which Ian is sprawled. No, not cold. Shit. Damn, it's not cold, it's a fire-hot iron through his bicep. The dawn's squawk of a magpie tears through the silence of the alpine forest air. Where is his phone, he thinks. He needs to call for help, so where? Squatting on the trail, nearby, but also too far out of reach, a squirrel paws at a glint of reflected sunlight rolled in the mud of the trail. His phone... Laying right there, face up, an inert slab of black glass and aluminum in the middle of the forest path. The rodent paws at it, the screen now speckled, mashed, gobbed with dirt and brown pine needles. The squirrel chitters, and she ignores Ian, and paws at his phone, inert on the ground. Ian fills his lungs, a shuddering, slow breath. Weak, he blows the pain out through muddy lips and says with an effort, Hey there. Can... can you help? <laughs> Are you good? I... I don't think I am. He tries to speak. His voice is more ragged than he'd expected. Hoarse. He attempts words again and it takes effort to summon his vocal cords to obey above a raw whisper. Gurgling out through muddy lips, he says, A bit closer, could you? Oh shit, my arm hurts. Could you drag my phone over this way, where I can reach it? The squirrel freezes. Every hair, muscle, and tendon of her little rodent body tenses. Every movement pauses but the cautious little flicks of her eyes. She is locked in a motionless pose, in a starting gun hunch, ready to scurry into the protective canopy of trees in an instant. Ian tries to reach across to his arm, the arm still pinned on the trail by the tree root, his uninjured arm shakes, shudders as he extends it, his fingers weak. He reaches out, yet he is unable to twist himself, to reach far enough, unable to reach his satellite navigation wristwatch strapped to his pinned appendage. The digital display is faint, near invisible in the dim light. The watch is counting off the seconds on the liquid crystal screen. Another deep breath, another long exhale. 
The sunlight fringes and dims at the edges of Ian's vision as he feels himself floating away from the pain in his arm, a dreamy warmth, but then now another pain in his foot and his hip and a throbbing that is starting to creep into the back of his head where his spine connects to his skull. The sunlight seems to dim and shadows flicker through the bare trunks standing his vigil in the woods nearby. It is all hazier and softer. The world itself is blurring. Another deep breath, another long exhale. He fights against closing his eyes, but those paper-thin flaps of skin are oh so goddamn heavy. Shit, he rasps, and a pine needle flicks from his tongue and skitters across the path. That single word is enough to yank him out of his drifting reverie and again focus on the cold trail. The squirrel, the pain, all of it. The ruddy gray rodent is turned towards him. She is watching, patiently gawking and evaluating, likely sizing up the situation to her own squirrely advantage, wondering, where has this creature come from? Why is he here? Ian Gage remembers. He remembers that he had been running. A morning run, a run of light and shadow through the forest of Mount Karazun. He had been running. He had been running, step by step, chasing alone, along a trail through the forest on this cold mountain above the streetlight-cast pre-dawn glow of Birchmont. He had been chasing shadows and leaping over worn roots. He had been drinking in the foggy air and tasting the dewdrops evaporating from the trees. He had been running. He had been. This trail through the mountain woods is named The Chopper. It undulates through the forest, heaves over gullies, traverses creeks, weaves along rocky gulches and crests atop a mountain saddle with a glorious view of the city below. It is a single-track treasure, a trail labeled near the trailhead with a hand-painted sign tied with red rope to a tall birch tree. The chopper is notoriously beautiful at dawn as the light just begins to fill the gaps between the trees and cast long shadows through the autumn mist. This morning, Ian had been running the chopper. He had been recording. Of course he had. He had been making a video. His camera was out, and in fact, Ian runs here often. He is producer, editor, and star of a million subscriber strong adventure video cast, and running here is Ian's job. Or, if not his job, then it's his life, his passion. Damn, it's his whole world, he thinks. Every single day of the week, he discovers some new and glorious way of capturing adventure footage. He traverses trails and simultaneously points his camera for that silky smooth, crystal clear, high-definition video, recording it all, everything, scenes and stories. He documents every foray he makes into the woods. He runs through these very trails, holding his camera out in front to lead the way. Hey, it's me again. I don't want to interrupt the action too much, but, well, I thought it was worth jumping back in as myself, narrator, author, guy writing the first draft of this story, and say I can't even tell you how many times I've been over this part. Editing this scene, I mean. And it all starts to mush together after a while. Me trying to get it just right. Because here's the thing. All the advice out there says to use your first chapter to hook your audience. That's the goal of page one. Grab the reader's attention and keep them reading 
or well, in this case, listening. So that's mine. A big, bold opening scene with a bit of mystery, a healthy dollop of blood, not to mention a cute but creepy animal. And, uh, of course, the hint of some excitement lurking in the upcoming pages. It's all meant to hook you into turning the next page. Because the next scene, I'll jump into the main plot and it'll be full speed ahead. With that, I'll introduce a few more characters and begin to build up the mystery of it all. We've got a long way to go. And if I intend to write a successful novel, I can't have you quitting on the first page now, can I? Where are we then? Um, you've met Ian. Check. He's a runner. Internet influencer. He got himself tripped up and injured on a mountain trail. He's all by himself and looking like he might be in a spot of trouble. You should be wondering how this poor guy is going to get out of this predicament. Maybe even start to sympathize with him? Does he come across as sympathetic? Oh, and by the way, this guy Ian, he's not the protagonist. I mean, he will be a pretty big part of the story and all, but... Okay, think of it this way. You know those cop procedurals or hospital dramas and how they always seem to open up on the victim or the person with the weird disease? Or, uh, you get it. That's our guy, Ian. He's that guy. So what happens next? Let's, uh, keep reading. A camera, or just his phone, held at arm's length, out in front of him, nabbing the blur of the scenery, recording as he dashes along through the single-track wilderness. And these gravel descents, grassy scrambles, or wide-open trails with the local mountains are not simply a backdrop. No, they are a co-star to his videography. His trademark style is action perspective. He records it all, jittery, first-person angles, and hot vocal takes on the sights and sounds of nature. Edited, these cut together with B-roll footage of sunrises, mountains, raw and wild critters, and, of course, Ian's own sweaty, yellow-clad visage. He splices it together into a fully produced, weekly narrated video. Ian voiceover spills a poetic slurry of words and images, uploads, and then shares. Producer, editor, star. Ian had been running. He remembers. A morning run, a communion with nature, a video upload to be. He remembers the run. And yet, now he is face down, pinned to the trail. He has woken, rather, regained consciousness. With a pencil-sized spear of wood poking through his bloodied arm. He is woken with a breakfast mouthful of his favorite mountain trail. He is woken in the brisk autumn air with a shot list full of bruises, scrapes, and a stab wound oozing rusty blood onto the wet ground. And he is woken, lacking any clear memory of how running has turned him into this, sprawled helpless atop a mountain at dawn. Please, oh shit, drag that phone towards me. Maybe you can... Ugh. Maybe? Ian clears his throat, turns the words into a hoarse cough, but does not improve the strain in his voice, nor clear enough of the gritty organic scruff from his lips to matter at all. Yet, neither does he spook the squirrel. The rodent's eyes lock with Ian's fluttering gaze. She quirks her little round head to face him and stare, unnervingly stare at the man on the ground, Maybe you can call for help. You might be the only one who knows I'm here right now. It all tumbles in fragments out of Ian in a dirty whisper. 
The effort of speaking leaves him breathless, unable to say even one more syllable. A shudder follows, abrupt and unwelcome, with painful gasps that rattle like cold convulsions through his chest and arm. How long has he been laying on the ground, he thinks. How long between falling? Did he fall? And waking up? He remembers the first hues of sunrise through the columns of tree trunks as he ran. He recalls the gray mist across the trail. The familiar sounds of the creek splashing over the rocks had been lulling him into a flow state. The light, the crisp autumn air. Hey, friend. Hey, little gal. (laughs) Oh, now I'm talking to a squirrel, he says, weak and drained. He can't seem to find even the strength to finish the last word, and even this too tumbles from his lips in a manic laugh of a drunken slur. But the squirrel holds her ground. She freezes her body again and turns her head to Ian. She chitters something, a shrill bark between angry and mocking, scolding him, Ian thinks. Then she turns and runs away, leaps into the trunk of a large tree growing at the edge of the trail. The tree... Ian senses the tree growing in the gully at the edge of the trail. The edges of his vision continue to blur, to fade, but Ian focuses on the tree. The tree, it is huge. That damn huge tree at the edge of the trail, so big. It's enormous, he thinks. Old and tall, beautiful, ugly, reaching up and out of the forest canopy, maybe 20 meters tall? He could wrap his arms around most of the trees in these woods, but not this one, no. It's too big, he thinks. This one is old, and it has stood here forever, standing, surviving right here in this very spot a very long time. A birch tree. An unusually large birch tree whose bark is deeply textured and peeling off in curling scrolls. Maybe this bloodied root is her. An old root from a big old tree sticking through his arm, he thinks. This old, elegantly gnarled tree is all he can see now. The whole of his world. It's the only object that resolves in the shuddering frame of his mental camera, which is blinking low battery and counting down to shut off. The canopy of trees shudder against a brisk morning wind. The sound blossoms from the still air, shushing through the treetops. Ian's eyes flutter and he forces himself to keep them open. The wind stirs stronger, pushing down onto the path and sweeping, tossing, swishing into whirls of dancing movement of a hundred fallen leaves at the edge of the trail. The volume of the sound builds momentarily into a rush of cold chaos up the path and over the lip of the gully. Ian blinks, eyes twitching. A root still sticks through his arm and the pain, oh, the pain, he thinks, He can feel the bite of it in his flesh, the electric snaps of pain jolting into his numbed brain. Are you good? The voice comes from nowhere, everywhere. Ian cannot twist his head round nor even seem to open his eyes wide enough to see who is speaking to him. Who? He tries to speak, but the words are caught in his throat again. Help me. Are you good? Obviously not, he thinks. Obviously, he is sprawled here on the trail, covered in blood. Can't they see the state he is in? He winces, pinches his eyes shut. He gasps at the brisk air. Hurt is the only word that he can say, and it shatters as it falls from his lips in a tumble of throaty scratches. You are hurt. 
the voice says from nowhere, from everywhere. Are you good? You can help. He sees no one. He must be dreaming, hallucinating, he thinks. He recognizes an indistinct shape, the shape of the squirrel on the path. The squirrel, she's back again. No, it is two squirrels now, or is it more? All of them pawing at his phone. Pawing and prodding at his phone, laying there on the trail, the phone still covered in dirt and pine needles. Three squirrels? Or is he just seeing double, seeing triple? Ian wonders. I'm not good. Oh, shit. Please, he says, the words all but inaudible, unintelligible as his eyes open and close and open again, fluttering against the cold textures of the trail and decaying mulch from the forest floor. Help! As the screen of his phone blossoms into a glow in the paper-thin light of this mountain dawn, Ian Gage closes his eyes one last time and passes out. If this was one of those procedurals I mentioned earlier, here's where the scene would fade to black and the opening credits would roll. Instead, you get me. And so that was the first scene of my first draft. And the story blows up from there. I think you'll like it. More characters, more intrigue, some wild and crazy paranormal mysteries. I've got a pretty solid story in the works, and if I can just get through it all, edit it out, I mean, I think it might be something. Maybe even something worth printing up in that traditional way, you know? Well, maybe. Long shot, remember? So I'll keep reading, and you'll keep listening, and look, it's all just a plan right now. It's a big idea and like all big ideas it's going to take time to work through and in the meantime well this is the first episode of a podcast i'm pretty sure those are still a thing right and if you do keep listening worst case scenario you'll spend a bit of time to get to hear the story of a guy who stumbled through an attempt to write and edit and publish the first draft of his story best case well stay tuned and together we'll see where i can go with this thanks for listening this has been a Squetchy co-production. Visit me at squetchy.art 